Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Um, I want to talk to you this morning. Uh, you know, it is Father's Day, so to all fathers, but we don't want to reduce a message to just about fathers. Um, but this, this, this is very... Um, I think it's an imperative. I think it's very powerful um, if we are a father. Uh, but but it, it reaches to anyone, really, who's an influencer uh, of anybody. I want to talk about building something that starts with us but outlasts us. Um, when we come to Rise and Build in a few weeks, that's what it'll be accomplishing. We'll talk about that then. And uh, I'm hoping that those who call this church their church would be prayerful about that now and how you might give into that. Um, but but something that starts with us and outlasts us. Um, I think God wants that for your life. I think he wants it for mine. And I want us to speak about it this morning. We, we've been looking the last few weeks when I've been on about um, living heart and soul, how heart and soul is our edge in life and how heart and soul, uh, its true north is a life lived towards God. You and I are wired to live heart and soul. And we will live heart and soul for something if we don't live heart and soul for Jesus. But our true north is to live heart and soul for God. And so we looked last week at a guy called Joshua. And Joshua really helps us with this subject because Joshua is a guy who really started strong. He, he built something. He becomes a leader of uh, his nation and, and, and the nation of um, what today we would recognize as the Jewish nation. And he becomes a leader of those people. And, and basically, God says to him, he gives him this big promise. And in Joshua chapter 1, he says, Give it everything you have, heart and soul. Make sure you carry out the revelation that Moses commanded you. Every bit of it, don't get off track. And, and he starts out living heart and soul. And as we go along his life, he starts well uh, and he stays strong. And then if we fast track to the end of Joshua's life, um, Joshua makes this statement to the gathered crowd. At the end of his life, after he stayed strong, after he started strong, after he stayed strong, now he's a, an old man. He's, you know, really, his life is now um, coming quickly to its close. And at the end of his life, Joshua, having accomplished all that God said he would and all that God had for the people, Joshua at the end of his life says this, speaking to the people gathered there. He says, as for, he says, you do what you want, but as for me and as for my household, we will serve the Lord. He started strong. He lives strong. He ends strong. So many people start a thing well, don't they? Even do a thing well. But I've noticed now over a few short years of life that not everybody ends well. People who started so brilliantly, People who lived it so well, who actually at the end of their life, really just for whatever reason, don't end so well. It's true in life, true of people of faith. The week before, um, Joshua, looked at Josiah. Josiah, the Bible says, there was no king like him before or since in the records of the kings. But you know the one thing he didn't do? End well. People start jobs really well. They don't always end jobs really well. People start lots of things really well and don't end them. But, but Joshua, he defies that. At the end of his days, having seen all that he's seen, he says, hey, whatever you do, here's what we're going to do. 
You choose for yourself. But as for me and my house, we started out strong serving God. We've lived strong serving God and we're going to finish strong serving God. And he really has laid this down. So I want to bring you to what happens next. Because what happens next is what we're talking about this morning. Building something that starts strong and outlasts us. So Judges chapter 2 is going to come on the screen. It's talking to the generation that followed Joshua and it says this about them. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now I read that and thought maybe that's a misinterpretation because how the heck did that happen? How did a generation that grew up under a generation of pioneers and guys on the frontiers who saw so much blessing, saw so much happen, how did the generation that immediately followed them grow up and neither know God or know his ways and what he had done? And I started to think about it. I thought, what a, what, a, what, a, what a tragedy in one respect that something that was, they were meant to be the pioneer generation. You know, when a, when a generation pioneers something good, they're not meant to be the end of the story. They're meant to be the beginning, aren't they? They're the foundation layers of what will come. They call the generation that was born immediately after, um, the generation that lived at the close of World War II, born before it, they call them the builder's generation because they were the pioneers of a new day in our nation. And then they had the baby boomers, some of you baby boomers. And then they had the great generation. They had the generation to defy all generations. Generation X, because we have the X factor. And then because they couldn't think of anything better, they decided to call the next generation, Generation Y. Gosh, you guys are boring, Sarah Bertram. Gen Y. And then because they'd run completely out of ideas, Katie Girl, they call your generation Gen Z. What are we going to do now? But Joshua's generation were not meant to be pioneers of the better day that's been. They were meant to be pioneers of a better day to come. But what happens is they become a generation who the plans and what God would build starts with them and dies with them. Imagine that if you're a father today. Imagine that if you're an influencer of the next generation today. That the way you live, if you live for Jesus, that the way you live not act, just dies with you. Now, we can't control what the next generation does. My mum couldn't control what I did. And my brothers and I were absolute ratbags for many years. She couldn't control that. She laid a great foundation. She was a good and godly mother. We were not good and godly sons. That's not on her. But what she can do, what you and I can do, is set the tone. We can lay the foundation. We can put in place the pillars that cause something strong to build with us and something that's strong to outlast us, give God something to work with in the generations that follow us. And so thinking about this idea today, imagine that. Imagine that, that if you're a believer in Jesus, imagine that your faith dies with you because of the legacy we left. I don't know what your thoughts are about legacy. Ron and I, when we're thinking about rise and build, one of the words we we're talking about was legacy. I said, I'm not old enough to be talking about legacy. Let's talk about something that starts with us and outlasts us. They, um, <laughs> sorry, we don't normally take comments from the floor. <laughs> Which is the definition of legacy, yes. Yes. Sounds better in my mind. They, um, 
But what I like about legacy, it, you know, you hear people say, oh, legacy, I want to be remembered. Legacy is not about whether I'm remembered. Legacy is about how the next generation are positioned. It's got nothing to do with how I'm remembered or how Mick's remembered. It's got everything to do with what we set up for them. It's about how they are positioned to flourish. And, and so that's all we can control. And I like that. The rest is on them, but that's on me. The rest is on those who come after you, but setting them up for what's possible, that's on us. And so we want to be those who leave a legacy. We want to be those who build something that starts strong and outlasts us. And so here's some thoughts. Number one, number one, building something that starts with us and outlasts us. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. I like the promise in that, um, but what I really like about that, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Now, not everybody in this room is going to be in a financial position to leave an inheritance or to leave an inheritance for the children's children. My mother never left us anything. I've forgiven her now. No, my mum didn't. She, she struggled a whole life to put food on our table and all those kinds of things. We don't need to go into that. But, but I'll tell you what she did leave. She left a legacy of living a spiritually strong life. She left a legacy of faith. I'm so thankful. I can do without the rest or God can build and bless the rest. But I'm so thankful even now, even now when I'm under pressure to maybe compromise a truth that I believe in, even now, my, my mother's voice will ring in my ear, don't bend to men, Darren, stand for God. You know, one of the things that we do right now is overflow. And one of my wrestles over the years is how does that work? You need to be an insider to understand this, and that's deliberate. Um, how does that work in a church like ours? And, you know, one of the reasons that overflow, something like overflow happens, is because I know my mum, if she were here, would be saying, Darren, where's the Spirit? Where are the gifts of Spirit, Darren? Darren, you read your Bible. Tell me how it's going to happen. Tell me how it's going to work. That's my mother. That's my mother and scriptures combined influence having an effect on me. Left an inheritance for her children that is powerful and profound and eternal. Uh, But it didn't start with her. It started with my grandmother. And so my grandmother, when none of her kids were serving God and when we were a bunch of absolute lunatics, um, my grandmother would be praying. She was always praying. She was always praying. In fact, when I finally came to my senses around 21, the first person I drove to see was my grandmother. She'd been praying my whole life. I'm 21 years old. For 21 years, she'd been praying. All of her children, not serving God at that moment in time. And her grandson turns up at her door and says, hey, just praying, seeding the next generation. Something that would start with her, but more than that, something that would outlast her. I wonder if she can imagine some of the things that are going on today. I wonder if she gets to look on. I don't know how it works. I don't know if she's asleep or awake, but I know this. My grandmother must be sitting there when I'm over in Poland and we're helping church guys plant churches. She must be sitting there and think, that was a good prayer back there. I don't know why God's using him, but that makes no sense to me. But what I do know is that something that started back there has outlasted her and now it's going into the next generation. And that's what God does. And so here are some thoughts. An inheritance, a spiritual inheritance. If we get stuff, great. I want to leave my kids stuff. I do. But the one thing I want to leave them with is they're going to serve Jesus heart and soul. That's the one thing I want to leave them with. They're going to love the Word of God. An inheritance 
for the children's children. I wonder if the sort of faith that I'm living is going to not only be strong while I live, but it's going to outlast me when I'm gone. Not because it's a legacy about me, because it's a legacy that can come through me, for them, set them up. So number one thought here is um, build something that starts with us and outlasts us. Sorry, here's the number one thought. Number one, let's model something compelling for the next generation. I want to model a compelling faith. If my kids go through struggles, which no doubt they will, I want them to remember that their dad's faith was compelling. That if life's not working because they're not quite serving Jesus, that they would be reminded of the life that Bron lived, the life that I lived, and they would come to their senses like the prodigal son in Scripture and go, this is madness. I'm better off a servant in my father's house than I am out here doing what I'm doing. I want to establish something in them. I want to model something for them. So here's an easy way, dads. Here's an easy way for us to model the kind of things that the Bible talks about. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Like just stripping it back, just shrinking it down. Paul's writing to his protege, Timothy, who was raised by a godly mother whose father didn't serve Jesus. You know, if you're a single parent today and, and you think, well, you know, it's more difficult for me. Yes, it is. Yep, absolutely. I know that by when my wife goes away, it's more difficult for you. Um, but can you raise an inheritance without having a husband or without having a wife to raise children in a godly home? You bet. You can raise the next generation. You can raise sons and daughters that really would defy the odds and shape the future. Don't let anyone look down on you because you were young, Paul says to Timothy. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Set an example. He says, hey, take what's been modeled to you by me and model to that to everyone around you because that can catch on. He says, Timothy, just go and do these simple things. Here's what I want you to do. Be an example for the believers in speech. Well, if you've been around here, you know that's a big one for me. Be an example for the believers in speech. I think that our speech, I think not only do I think, I think the Bible says that our speech should be, um, there should be nothing unwholesome in it, the Bible says, that it should build up, that it should never tear down. That's what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, let your speech be wholesome or let it not be unwholesome, it says, and let it seek to build up the hearer whenever you speak something. That's a powerful way to live. I don't know anyone who's perfected it, but I want to get better at it. And, you know, as a father, um, that our speech, I think our speech should be an example. Faith-filled optimism, faith, hope, love. You know, it's the, it's the lens God sees through. It's the language God speaks with. It's the spirit Jesus lived with. Faith, hope, and love. Why would I live anything else or anything less if I'm a follower of Christ? God help us, we don't need another critical Christian on the face of the planet, do we? Why would we be that when Jesus talks about faith and he talks about hope? And he talks about love. You know, if I'm a father uh, today or if I'm an influencer at all, I want to come home. I want to walk in the door. I want to bring faith. I want to bring hope. I want to bring love. I want that to be in my kids. I want Lockie to wake up in the years to come. And when someone tells him he's not that good, you know, or whatever it is, he goes, that's rubbish. I know what God says about me because my father put it into me. Conversation. Hey, if I can just speak to the men in the room for a moment. I think it's important around the way we speak about women. I don't think it's okay to speak crudely about women. I don't think it's okay to sexualize commentary around women. It's not okay. It's not okay to me, but that doesn't matter to you. It's not okay to God. 
Let's leave it behind. There'll be this awkward moment next time you're at work. You go, Darren, you don't work in my workplace. That's true. I work with people like Jules and Trish and Candy and Mikey and Joe Stace and then none of them are going to do that right. My world is easier. But it wasn't always that. And it is harder where you are. But I've found there's this awkward moment that says so much. Give it silence. Just give it silence. I think the way we should be a respecter of men, I think we should be great respecters of women. I think we should be champions of women. I think we should be champion what's in our wife's heart, you know, which means tempering what's in my own life. I've got more plans and more dreams than this front row combined. Maybe not this front row. Maybe not this front row. That front row is full of it, but in a good way. <laughs> and a bad way. So. But, you know, there's so much going on, but I have to temper that so that I can champion what's going on in my wife's heart and say to every husband in the room, every father in the room, to make that our place where we would temper what's in us to champion what's in the girls and the sons, but we're talking about the wives in our life and make sure that we're doing that. Let that conversation be on our lips. Let it be in our hearts. Then it talks about um, other things there. It talks about faith, talks about purity. I've sort of blended those two together. Um, And just setting an example in so many ways, being a person of faith. Who cares what happened yesterday? Who cares what hasn't happened today? What might God have for the future? I want that more committed to the future than I am the past. Honor the past, but live committed to the future. In Jesus' name, amen. And so just having that sort of thing going on in us, develop that in our lives. Um, uh, In Jesus' name. In conduct, in love, uh, in conduct. There's a lot of talk about grace, hey? And I'm all for grace. I believe in grace. But let our conduct be reflective in all of its imperfection of a Lord who died for our sins, who's resurrected from the grave and who calls us to follow him and one day he will return in power. Number two, let's establish something revolutionary in the next generation. Ah, let's not let it drift. Let's not let it just find its way. I want to be more committed in what I establish in the next generation than those around me that would oppose me are. Um, uh, The Bible in this, uh, we're not going to go to it, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6, actually before they've sort of gone into any of the promise, what happens is God gives them uh, a word and he says, hey, listen, when when all of this has come to pass, I speaking to Moses, but later to Joshua. When, when all this has come to pass, all the promise that I promised you, when, it, when it's happened, and when you're living comfortable, it says, and when you've settled down in the land that I give you, the houses you didn't build, the vineyards you didn't create, you know, all of those things that I gave to you that weren't from you, when all of that has happened, remember, remember when you're sitting around your table to be telling your children about what went on. It says, remember when you're sitting around your table to tell them the word of God, when you write it on the doorpost. Now, they don't ha- didn't have, obviously, what we have. And so they carve it into the doorpost. When your kids walk out the door, let them see the word of God as they enter the world in which they live and flow. He says, hey, and, 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 and let it be on your hearts. Let it be on your lips. And my one thought, if I could only do one thing for my children, if there's one thing that I could establish in them, that the word of God would be the authority in their life. Because I know if I'm here or not here, it won't matter if this is the authority. If this is truly the authority and not a recommendation book, I know that my children will be set for life. I can breathe my last breath today. I don't want to. I'm still upset. <laughs> what is on that table? 
So while he's good. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, don't you? I, I, I want to shape. I, how do I put it? I'm more. I want to. I reckon. Let's be more committed to the foundation of Scripture than the pattern of culture. Culture's coming at the church. But I'll tell you what will stand 100 years from now. Culture will have moved on. When you think about those of us who can remember, and you think about previous generations, like when I think about the white Australia policy, I'm like, are we serious? When I think about the nation's first people having their children taken, don't you, like me, go, what on earth were they thinking? I'm sure with good intention. What on earth were they thinking that the best thing we could do for our nation's first people is take their children and put them in an orphanage? Can you see how unfathomable that is? There's things going on in our culture right now that 100 years from now, they'll think the same. You and I shouldn't be governed to by culture. No, we should be building lives that are shaped by Scripture. That's what we want. And we want to establish that strong in us, but have that outlast us. Because I know that if I do that one thing for my kids, that really, that will serve them well. Um, the book of Thessalonians is talking to that church in Thessalonica. And, it, and the apostle Paul writes, he says, you know, basically what I love about you is that you treat the word of God as it is. Not as the word of man, but as the word of God. And he encourages them in that thing. And so for you and I, just establishing that kind of thing in the hearts of the generation coming after us. Um, want the Bible, not culture, to inform their work ethic, to inform their worship, to inform my children and the next generation's attitudes towards church. I want Scripture, not culture, to inform that. When it comes to boyfriends and girlfriends, I want Scripture, not culture, to inform that. When it comes to those kinds of things, why is that? Because culture will shift, but Scripture will stand. Uh, when it comes to finance, I want Scripture, not culture. When it comes to language and lifestyle, I want Scripture and not culture to shape those things because it will transform their future. They don't need to go down the path of the judges where they had to rediscover everything, but a foundation is set for the, to build their future and what God will do in their generation. And so we want to do that. Here's some other thoughts around what to establish. Craig Rochelle says this. Live less concerned with today's happiness as it relates to our children and, and more about tomorrow's readiness. Cheers. Cheers. Live less concerned. I think that was a plot. Live less concerned. Actually, it's a good timing for that, right? Live less concerned with today's happiness and more about tomorrow's readiness. Doesn't that make sense to you? That Coke right now, it's killing them. My water is rehydrating me. Live less concerned. He goes on and he adds, don't act in ways that have them risk too little. I've got to be honest. When it comes to Kate, my youngest child, I risk way too little. Yesterday, I let her stay home on her own for the first time. She's in what year are you in? Five. She stayed on her own for the first time. I'm still not convinced that's good parenting. But, but I'm like, okay, I can do this. She's telling me she can, she's up to it. And um, 
because I don't want to take too little risks. Don't rescue them too quickly. And then Craig Rochelle says this, don't, don't reward them too frequently. Sorry, I'm guilty. But it's good advice, isn't it? In the things we establish. Bron and I have this thing we really work on in our kids. I think it's grounded in Scripture. Bron and I establish that we own our, own, we own our stuff. Like in our household, if you don't own your stuff, mate, there will be. <laughs> well, you should come and check it out. <laughs> own our stuff. Not excuse our actions or attribute external blame because that won't serve them well. That will kill their future. But we want to build something strong that outlasts us. And if they learn to own their stuff early, not externally blame, uh, but um, they will be set up well. Um, and then here's another one. We do generous, not fairness. Some of you know this from us. When I'm thinking about things we want to establish, we do generous, not fairness. We do it for two reasons. One, Proverbs talks about um, that the generous help the needy. They help the poor. They help the, We want to establish that in our children. But the other thing Proverbs 11 says is that the world of the generous grows larger and larger and the world of the stingy grows smaller and smaller. Um, and so we would do it for two reasons. One, because we want them to be outward and two, because we want them to live blessed. And so there's things we want to establish. And then as I try and wrap this today, the third thing here is things we want to encourage. wonder what you would want to encourage in the next generation. I'm going to bring this series right back to where I started and go, you know, I want to encourage in my kids and in the next generation to live heart and soul for Jesus. I can't think of anything that would, apart from them walking away, anything that would sadden me more than to leave a legacy, leave something that outlasts me, um, that leaves them living half-hearted. If my kids, if the next generation connected to me are going to live half-hearted, I want them to have to rebel against everything they know, not overcome everything that's been set up. They want to live half-hearted, rebel against everything that's been set up in their lives. That's how I want it to be. But what I know is that the, the likelihood is, not the surety, but the likelihood is if we put that in, we can leave an inheritance that goes to not only my children, but to our children's children. That in 80 years, they're gathering, not in this building, because it'll be too small, but in that building, because we'll have all given it rise and build. And when they're gathering in that building and they need multiple services, because at the core of that church is a generation after these kids that actually is still living heart and soul for Jesus. They don't remember who Darren Francis Bunnell is, and they don't remember who you are, because legacy is not about that but because legacy is about how we set them up to walk into their God-appointed future I mean I want to be part of that kind of setup in their lives something that starts with us and something that outlasts us and so encouraging in our kids encouraging in the next generation just to live heart and soul there's plenty of people who will tell them just to live half-hearted but I want to defy that how about you I want to defy that I want them to defy it I want them to go further than I could ever go do more than we could ever do that we might be like Joshua for them a pioneer generation pioneering a future that doesn't exist yet that's why we're committed to things like the chapel and kids club and all that is because we want to pioneer a future that they can build on they don't have to start again they're not a remnant of a hangover period what was better than their current reality but they are the inheritors of a pioneered foundation that sets them up for a god appointed future we can build that we can build that right here right today encouraging heart and soul living committed to the word of god modeling the sort of life that sets them up and causes them to go on for jesus i lit this candle here oh 
beautiful candle that it is. But you know, I don't know if you can see this. I hope you can. So your light, your light and mine is going to go out. Just like that. It's going to go out sometime soon, sometime later. And everything we did, heart and soul, mind and strength, live for God's word, lived according to God's word, all those things in an appointed time in the future we can be like Joshua and it started with us but it was never meant to die with us it was meant to outlast us and I wonder I wonder this morning just going hey what are we setting up that would outlast us and multiply from us and I think about my nan when she passed away it was just me and my brothers. But you know, my mum came back to Christ. My auntie came back to Christ. My husband, uh, my husband, gosh. My uncle is serving Jesus. And the ripple effect goes on and on and on and on because she started something that outlasted her. You and I get to as well in Jesus' name. Amen? Right, uh, why don't you stand with me? Let me pray for you. What an incredible treasure every father has. And while we've spoken to everyone this morning, I just want to pray for the dads. What an incredible privilege it is for someone like Evan to raise his son, for Maddie to be able to raise his son and daughter. What an incredible privilege it is for all of us to raise the children we have. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you today. Thank you for the privilege of fatherhood we understand not everybody gets that opportunity God and and so today I pray for all the dads who do that we'd value it even as your son valued us that seems like an impossible prayer but who knows what you can do and father we thank you we pray for each man you're stirring in their hearts and minds what they would model what they would establish and what they would encourage and today as we wrap God I want to thank you for Lee Lord, I thank you for the example that he has been to me. I thank you right across the years, Lord, the way he stood on the word of God, that he strayed true to his faith, true to his calling, held on to conviction and modeled it for not only me, but a whole bunch of pastors, God. We thank you for that. Thank you for who he's been. Thank you for who he is. Thank you for what he's planted into us in Jesus' name. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.